this is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Second Wind, I would like you to meet Maureen Foreman. She is an owner of an equestrian center and also in corporate America with a challenging career that brings her to LA from Georgia and she has to travel doing that. And she thought maybe she could stop doing that, but found herself so ill and undiagnosable for three years that as the bills accrued, she realized she had to keep up with her corporate job. And Maureen, I met a few years back, gosh, a long, maybe 10 years back or more, as her and her husband would come to our restaurant, McGuire's Family and Friends, Irish Pub in Sonoy, Georgia, and we would chat. And they were great supporters of my charity and were always friendly, always, you know, those people you love to see come into your restaurant because you know they're friendly, you know they have your back, that you know they have the business's best interest at heart, and they're just genuine people. So I always loved her. And then all of a sudden, I didn't see her anymore. And I would see your husband in there by himself occasionally. And I had a server at the time, a dear woman named Heather, who became really good friends with you all. And she came to me and said, wow, Maureen's in LA and he can't come home. She's too sick. I'm like, what do you mean she's too sick? What do you mean she's too sick to come home? No, no, no. She's too sick to come home. It looks like she's going to have to stay there. And then she would update us. And then there was nothing for a long time. And then lo and behold, a few weeks ago, I went to a Lyme support group, which I said I didn't need. Who needs, I don't need a stinking support group, but I said, you know what? Let me go. And just for the heck of it. And I went and we both looked at each other and go, I know you. Wait a minute. I know you. And then her story, I'm like, wait a minute. Is this why you weren't in the restaurant for three years? Is this what was wrong? Was lying? So anyway, I want you to tell your story because it is riveting. It is crazy. And you have learned so much and researched and are so up to date on the topics about Lyme disease. And your own struggle is incredible. So Maureen... Thank you for your time. I know you were working on the farm before you came on at the air with me, and I'm going to be working on mine afterwards. So thank you so much for joining me on Second Wind, the podcast. Wendy, you are so welcome. And I just have to include that the Wires is a fantastic restaurant. So we were actually really good customers for <laughs> friendship. Anyway, that's lamb shank, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so my story is probably familiar for a lot of people because as a woman and I'm not feeling well, you push through it. 
So suddenly I have a headache and it's gone on and now I have migraines. Well, I just have migraines. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to just keep working through it. And, you know, now, oh, weird. I can't, my arms keep falling asleep and my legs keep falling asleep. And I feel like I can't stretch my limbs and, you know, a lot of different strange symptoms. But But individually don't make it just, you don't think about, right? You just don't think about it. And Fortunately, at that time, and this was about 2015, 2000, yeah, 15 leading up to it when I got really sick, I had a staff. So I could have my groom, Sarah, just wrap the horses or, you know, if I, I needed her to ride something, I couldn't even put my feet in stirrups. I couldn't keep my feet in stirrups. So I once rode a fox hunt, you know, like third flight, nothing exciting, but I couldn't have stirrups the whole time. I was without stirrups because it was so painful in my joint. But I really thought it was because I was getting older and, and I would just take a lot of Advil, a lot of Advil, ridiculous amounts of Advil, which doesn't help at all. It actually makes things worse when, when you start to get what we know now is neuroline. So I was also at the time writing for a luxury lifestyle equestrian magazine. And I was actually the social editor. It's a content. I had a really fancy name, but really I was, I had enough connections that I knew people that were interesting, whether or not they were celebrities or well-accomplished people. So I was flying around and I was doing these travel pieces, lifestyle, whatever. And I was in California. You know, it's funny because I look back and I think, wow, all of these different symptoms I didn't realize I had. I was in Yellowstone and I would eat like meat and just get violently ill. And that mm. happened when I was in Napa with our friends who own the coffee shop. And and we had some steak, steak tartare, something like that. And I was just so sick. But we know now those were all reactions from this horrific bacteria. So fast forward, I'm in Los Angeles and it was June, 2016. And my son was with me. And his friends came along, his friend's parents were going on a cruise. So I said, well, just have your son come with us. He'll enjoy LA. It'll be great. I just have to do this piece, this interview and a photo thing at the bar. So, but it'll be fantastic. And I remember that morning, I mean, I've had horrific headache for just weeks and weeks. Every day I had the same headache, but no, but I didn't complain about it. Nobody really knew. And then that morning I took the boys hiking and I loved to go hiking but I couldn't move. I couldn't walk really well, but I just asked them to go hike and I would wait in the car. And then we went out to do the, the pictures to go along with this piece for this celebrity. And at first I threw up, which was kind of strange. And then apparently I was slurring my words. And of course my son was like, mom, are you drunk? And it's like 11 in the morning. Now I'm not drunk. But you're at this shoot, like unfamiliar territory and you're doing this. I was Canyon, taking pictures of the celebrity horse. And fortunately, a friend of mine, Dr. Carol Lieberman, who's an MD and a very, very well-known physician, sort of renowned psychiatrist, but incredible medical doctor, she happened to be there. So she was there and she said, you know, Joey, I think your mom is having a stroke and we're going to put her in the car and we're going to drive her to the hospital. We're not going to wait for an answer. How old was your son at this point? He was 15. 15. 15. That's still scary. Yeah. Yeah. He was 16. He was 16. So, and his friend is there. His friend is there as well. 
So the two kids and my friend, they would go to the hospital. And at that point, they diagnosed me as having a stroke and they've done an MRI or a CAT scan or whatever. They said, you have a glioma, you've got a tumor in your brain and we're going to admit you. We're going to need to do a biopsy, but we're actually, yeah, it was really crazy. And, you know, I was kind of, I, I felt fine. I didn't feel like, I mean, I thought it was all very dramatic and I was still like, I'm fine. I'm okay. And I talked to my friend who was dating a really well-known neurosurgeon at Cedars-Sinai. And she's like, no, you're, you're going to go to Cedars. You're not going to go to West Hills Hospital. If you're going to get anything done in your brain, you're going there. So he arranged the transfer, an incredible neurosurgeon, extremely generous. Wait, can I ask you a quick question? Mm -hmm. So when they said, oh, we see like this mass, we see a little tumor in your brain. Were you like kind of, well, well, that makes sense why I've had these headaches. Did that occur to you? No, no, it didn't occur to me. It still didn't. I just, you know, it didn't occur to me. I thought, I don't know what I thought, but I, I thought, well, this is very dramatic. I'm sure I'm just like very quick. This is all happening. Very quick. And it was very, it was very dramatic. There was a lot of, you know, and then I remembered I was in bed. They put a pamphlet next to me that said, so you have brain cancer. Terrible. This is absolutely horrific. So I was really happy to move on to Cedars. I'm like, okay, I'm going to Cedars. And then they'll realize it's a bit of a mistake. I'm fine, whatever it is. And so they confirmed that diagnosis and they said, we're going to do a craniotomy. And, you know, at that point now it's getting a little real and now I'm like, okay, but I was feeling like if you have something that's terrible, shouldn't it be more, I don't know, but it still didn't occur to me, the numbness that I kept telling them, you know, my arms are numb. I have this, I can't look at light. My eyes, everything is too bright, but I'm not correlating at this point, but I also have like straight up neurological Lyme disease gone through my brain at this point. Right. So you can't think we were just talking before we started. I'm like, Hey, I went out and I tried to open the wrong car and it wouldn't open. And I was getting really freaked out. And then I realized <laughs> wrong color, wrong car, wrong everything. Yeah. It just, you don't even know that you're doing that. You yeah. You don't realize. So they did a craniotomy on my head and, you know, unfortunately they kind of they had already diagnosed me with having an arterial clot, just different blood clots in my body, but they still did this surgery. And as a result, or maybe prior to, I got a transverse sinus clot, which is a very serious brain clot. And I kept telling them my heart is racing, all of these random little things that were happening that have been happening this whole time. And it's, you know, my numbers were interesting, right? So looking at, you see your white blood cell count and you see your you know, fields and neurofields and all these things and all this stuff is like so out of whack, but it just doesn't make sense, especially not to a neurosurgeon who is so focused, hyper-focused on glioma. So they cut open my brain. How, how many days from June, the photo shoot yeah. is this now? They're cutting open your head. June 11th was the shoot. And I think June 17th was when they put Oh my you're not even at home. You're in California. I'm in California, but I'm from California. You know, I felt like I was at home. It was fine. I also thought I was Persian and that Jelly was also Iranian. I don't know where that came from, but I had a lot of different interesting perspectives here. So anyway, I think it was because I was watching reality television, Shaws of Sunset. So I was, I was thinking, well, I'm Persian too. Like all my beautiful Persian friends in Los Angeles. Anyway, Maureen Foreman is not Persian. <laughs> so... It was just so crazy. What was really great was that these phenomenal brain surgeons, 
they had an opportunity to cut open the brain of a Lyme person who nobody knew had Lyme at the time. And that's where I feel really lucky and really blessed because had it been some other physician at a different hospital, you know, it might have gotten brushed under the rug or not taken so seriously. But these are the top neurosurgeons in the country who have done this now. And so what they noted was there was no tumor. And it, oddly, they said I had a demyelinating process that looked like MS, but it wasn't MS, but they're going to do a spinal tap test for MS and do all of these different things. And now I have this transverse sinus blood clot, and I'm also bleeding into the right temporal lobe of my brain. So that's creating damage there. And I've got now blood clots in my arms and in my legs and just like clotting all over the place, but they can't give me an anticoagulant for the clotting because I have this bleeding going on in my brain. So it was a really unfortunate oh experience. God. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty horrible. And so then they started testing my brain for syphilis. Is this encephalitis? Is this all herpes? And so all of these tests come back. They test me for herpes on my brain. I don't have herpes. I don't have syphilis. I don't have encephalitis. I don't have any weird infectious things that they're testing for. But you know what? They never considered mine. They never, they knew I was from a horse farm, but still in that hyper-focused sort of neurosurgeon parameter, they don't consider that it could be something as insidious as a tick the size of a sesame seed. And I'll just back that three years prior, I had a tick bite. I don't remember what kind of tick it was. I wasn't really educated to know. And I ripped the thing off after it had been feeding at least two days. I thought it was like a skin. I didn't know what it was until I finally like lifted my poop up and was like, oh my God, this is like a bug on me. Disgusting. Anyway, and I went to our local Piedmont healthcare, Dr. Monica Watts, and she gave me like a week of antibiotics. But I know now, and I already, I had, I mean, it went because I had a huge red streaky rat, all, like it was like so light, it was huge, it was that big. So technically one of the lucky people actually had a rash because so many people don't have one. Yeah, it went, and it was the horse trainer, and I thought it was cellulitis, but it was the horse trainer here at my farm who said, you're going to the doctor, I'm taking you. And she put me in the car and made me go to the doctor to get this wow. antibiotic. I was like, it's fine. It's fine. So coming out of this, it was teams of neurologists at Cedars. It was also, you know, recovery from having all this brain issues, damage and all kinds of things like that. So it was learning how to write again, learning mm-hmm. how to speak again. I had gotten out, I think like on July 3rd, I think from the hospital for brain surgery. So almost a whole month. Almost a month. But this is me. So I had scheduled, I had a scheduled interview with Lisa Vanderpump and I didn't want to miss it. And she's so busy. So I didn't want to. So I, I was like, oh, I can do that. I'm fine. Oh my God. It's so embarrassing. I couldn't really talk. I didn't know what my thoughts were. I had my friends who was the British consul general, I think at the time, Fiona coming with me to try to cover for me. But I'm, I'm sure Lisa thinks I'm a real left. But uh, you know, I just said brain surgery. So, all right, whatever. Yes. And she really loves her animals, by the way, loves her work. So that enough. And then from there, it was another misdiagnosis. And then we'll put you on anti-seizure medication and you have fibromyalgia and you have this and that. And finally, I was so, again, so lucky. I was up at Santa Inez at my friend's ranch and her neighbor had some guests and my friend said, oh, we've got to meet them. They're so nice. You're going to love them. She's a songwriter from New York. 
but she has a lot of chronic illness issues. I don't know what they are, but she's always sick or she's got something like that. I'm like, oh, okay. So we were walking, they were walking, we started chatting, and that's how I met Dana Parrish. And Dana Parrish has co-authored the book Chronic. And she told me, and it was November of 20, I guess, 2016. She said, I think you have Lyme disease. And I'm like, no, I don't think I have Lyme. I think, you know, like all the celebrities, it's like the catchy thing. They all have Lyme disease. I don't have Lyme disease. You know, that's not. Anyway, fast forward to another neurologist, Dr. Ron Anderson at Cedars, who did test for Lyme disease or told many metallogists to get me tested. And that's when I came back high equivocal at Cedars, but UCLA wouldn't test me. They said, we don't treat Lyme disease at UCLA in their infectious disease. I went there. They don't treat Lyme disease. So at Cedars, I had a high equivocal. So then they sent out for the Western. What does that mean for people who don't know? What does that mean? Right. So the first test they do, it's either positive, negative, or high equivocal. So they don't know. So on the first test they did, it was maybe exactly at that number. So they, they assume it's live if it's at that number. And then they order the set, which is like a Western blot, to see the IgG and the IgM state to see which bands you have. And so they tested me there. And I came back with three very, very Lyme-specific bands. But the CDC says you have five. And Dr. Randy Feldman, infectious disease at Cedars, he was great. He said, you have three of these bands. I'm going to try to get your brain tissue. I want to send it to SUNY in New York to do, they're doing some research. I think it's Lyme. I can't legally treat you because the CDC says you have to have five of 10 bands. But you only have three, but the three of that are totally Lyme specific. He went on to tell me that the tests are not great. They are only testing, I think he said something like 11 species and there's over 200 and these are wrong all the time, but he's really, you know, limited in what he can do. And that honesty and brevity and that conversation with him, I'm so grateful for because I don't have a good rapport anymore with these doctors as many people with life also aren't going to have. So anyway, I ended up seeing Dr. Erica Lehman. She was on the board of LymeDisease.org. She's in Beverly Hills, California. And she was the one who did the Igenix testing, which is mm-hmm. PCR testing. And it, it showed me that not only did I have Lyme, I had ehrlichiosis and some other, other tick-borne illness. So I had a bevy of beauties going on. And what was amazing, and I was sick. I was really sick. I was blood transfusion sick. I was iron infusion sick. I was miserable, for, like sick, sick, sick. And I'm so grateful for my husband, child. Yeah. What were those symptoms like? Because, you know, you're trying, are you back home in Georgia now? Or like, what are your symptoms? I am right. So I'm having all these blood clotting issues. And so I can't fly because they said you can't fly with this barometric pressure. You can't still and drive because of your blood clotting issues. No train, no driving, no nothing. You're not going to go on a ship. So you're stuck. You are stuck here. And I think of the barometric, I think it was like something like can't fly above 10,000 feet. There was all these different rules. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm fine to be stuck here. I have a great support system here. You know, I didn't think it would be that long. Anyway, it turned out to be a very long time. So when I finally went to Dr. Lehman, I mean, I had been getting blood transfusions at the cancer center at both UCLA and also at Cedar sinai 
I had been admitted. I had. Well, what were the blood transfusions were supposed to do what for you? I had such severe anemia. I mean, severe anemia, like this eating your blood cells to anemia. And that's why I had hematologists because they were trying to keep my coagulation levels great, but also address this anemia, which had been just pervasive for six months leading up to this hospitalization and continuing on and on and on. So really bad anemia. So if we didn't get it with iron infusions, then we ended up having to do blood transfusions. And God. I think I had probably three or four of the transfusions and then multiple iron infusions. Well, so it was terrible. My ferritin, I think, was like at two or three. And your ferritin are like your iron reserve. Much higher. I don't, I don't know. Maybe like 40, 50, 60. Oh, okay. Much higher, much higher. I think was my hemoglobin was at seven. I mean, it was just really, really not good. And so your normal hemoglobin would be like be 14. That, that would be on the So anyway, some of the symptoms I experienced, in addition to what I explained earlier, which was like eating and throwing up, violently throwing up, things like eggs or meat, like the pervasive headaches. Because I had such bad migraines, I went to acupuncture at UCLA, East-West Medicine acupuncture. And where they would put the needle in my meridian, I would get like lumps, lumps, I mean, huge lumps. So then they referred me to an allergist, like I'm not an allergist, an immunologist for mast cell activation. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Mast, yeah. So mast cell activation, you know, all of these different diagnoses. And then when I started taking the medication. So when you start with a Lyme literate physician, what they do is have you kind of get your gut, try to get your gut okay before they start giving you the big dogs and the, the big antibiotics. So she was giving me different sort of supplements and a whole bunch of different things. The challenge was with my coagulation issues, I had to be really careful mm. on like vitamin A and leafy greens. I mean, it was just a lot. It was really a lot. And then she found I was having some weird liver reaction to turmeric, which I was trying to take as an anti-inflammatory. I mean, a lot of stuff going on. So what I'm trying to say is, when I say sick, I mean, sometimes I would just be lying on the ground, like just curled up, just feeling like I wanted to die. It was horrible and freaked out Peter, freaked out Joey. You know, they were just, didn't know what to do except to take me to the ER, take me to the ER. And that's where I found some interesting things. Would you feel bad that they would just take you to the ER? You would just get so Yellier. bad to be like, take her to the ER. My face would start drooping. So then they would think I'm having another stroke. I mean, it was really, really bad. And now I know like Bell's palsy is one of those symptoms you want to look for. And if you've already been diagnosed with a stroke and then you start to have that facial drooping, you just got to go right away. So they diagnosed me there with okay. complex migraine. But really, you know, I think it's more Bell's palsy from Lyme disease, but you know, who am I to argue with the doctors there? But I did find that when you're, um, that liquid or IV Benadryl is a fantastic, IV Benadryl for me, I had no, I never like take Benadryl if I got, you know, an allergic reaction or something like that. IV Benadryl was really helpful when I was really, really sick from foods or whatever I was reacting to. But once I started those antibiotics, so, you know, they try to get your gut okay, and then they, they slowly put you on the antibiotics. So first it was, I think, me, Doxy, and they, I couldn't really handle it. So she put me on minocycline and then she added sephroxamine and then she added flagell. And I don't know if you remember the Lord of the Rings movie, the two mm -hmm. towers. So the king had this spell on him and he was all decrepit looking and just kind of like, what? 
And then you just see as they somehow cut the spell off, Gandalf does something. And then it's just like he lightens up. That's exactly how I felt. I felt like somebody was just like pulling up a veil. And I didn't even realize how bad I felt. It's like being in a bad relationship with life. And at this point now it's permanent, right? So now I've got the rheumatoid arthritis because it was a contact. I mean, stuff kind of goes crazy trying to figure all these things out and these different challenges. But I also have this new lease on life, right? Now I'm actually, I listen to my body and I do a little bit more of that self-care thing. And I don't put everybody, which is my tendency to put everybody first. The animals, of course, are number one, right? The animals first. And then my husband and Joey, they're second. They die for second. And then the clients or whatever. But now I'm really lucky. I'm really, really lucky. You know, I could have easily died from brain surgery or blood clots or whatever. I mean, one of the blood clots just had to go, you know, to my lung or my heart. I would have been dead in a, in a heartbeat. So it was really fortunate. And I had outstanding medical care. So then a year ago, I was in the garden and I didn't put any bug spray on because I just didn't have time. I wanted to get whatever I was doing in my garden. Uh, and I got a tick right behind my knee and it was this teeny tiny little nymph tick. And so I just pulled it out and it was so small. I'm sure I squished it all in my leg, but I thought to my, I was so cocky, Wendy, that, oh, I got this. I've got antibiotics in my cupboard. I'm just going to take these antibiotics because... I know what I'm doing, but I don't know what I'm doing. And I ended up with Babesia, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and that was a year ago. So I'd just gotten so much better. And that first year of COVID, man, I was great. I had all the blood transfusions were done. The iron infusions were done. I am feeling like a rock star. I'm walking a couple of hours every day. My weight is down. I'm feeling just amazing loving this first year of COVID for me personally it was great right because you can be on your farm farms don't shut down right interestingly enough my friends who have a beautiful home in the Hollywood Hills they were stuck in Washington for filming for a TV show they were on so they asked me if I would just move into their big mansion and and I was like yeah okay (laughs) so I would sit at a fantastic mansion in the Hollywood Hills fruit trees and vegetable trees and you know, I think a very well-known celebrity had just stayed there who was very into health. So I had every goop vitamin you can imagine. I had all this organic crap. Every, I was like, this is the life. This is wow. So it's yeah, that was me living my best life. Yeah. So then I went from there up and I stayed with them in Washington uh, and helped them out with their pod. You know, we all had pods in the early stages. And that again was great. It was beautiful and I had a great time. And then I came back I was helped. My mom bought a house, so I stayed with my mom. But the whole time I was by myself, you know, just me and my dog doing these things. And every, you know, this farm is running itself with people here. So coming back to Georgia is where I got that take by. So coming back to Georgia, it's back in May, got the take by. Then it was probably about six weeks later that I got so sick. I couldn't move my head off my chest. I'd had spasming so bad in my arm, uh, like, crying bad. It was no medication would touch it. And I discovered dry needling. Dry needling, which is a needle right in the buckle, was the only thing that was helping me with that. So my point there is that you can get reinfected. Not only can you get reinfected, one series of treatments that you might have had for something else that you tested positive for, that doesn't help the new thing. So if I had Babesia, which is, uh, I should have been taking Valorant and 
and I'm thinking, oh, I'm fine. I'll just take this, this, and this will be great. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So that's the hard thing for me is to be conscientious about putting on bug spray, about putting on lemon eucalyptus oil or whatever it is. Because every morning when I go out and I feed my horse, pig and all this stuff, I don't put it on, you know? I grab my coffee and I just don't think about it. I haven't done that either. And I just pulled a tick off after swimming laps and there was a tick and I pulled it off and I was mad as heck and I threw it down the sink and got rid of it. And I was like, oh, probably shouldn't have done that. And I probably should have paid attention. And then I sent a little text to our little group and I said, hey, we can't get reinfected, can we? Uh, Yeah. And four out of the five of us did. All of us. Yeah. One of the many reasons for this podcast is to collect, connect, and share information that will add to your life. It is my honor and pleasure to share products with you that I buy, use, and believe in that are high quality, sustainable, responsible to our earth, and that actually work. One product I have been using for almost a year now, every day, and now twice a day with the diagnosis of my Lyme disease is collagen. Collagen is a buzzword right now because collagen is a protein that makes up 30% of our bodies. And like everything else, as we age, we lose it. Fine lines, brittle nails, dull hair, achy joints, dry skin are all part of why collagen is so essential. So let me share why Elaine Collagen, the brand I use, is in my opinion more effective than what's out there on those shelves. It is easy to use, tasteless, and dissolves into any beverage. It's non-GMO. And it's from cows raised in Spain. And no chemicals are used for its extraction. Bingo, speaking my language. You can experience the benefits for yourself and receive 15% off by using the code SECONDWIND, all one word, at checkout at ElaineWellness.com. And if you want to know more about Elaine and her Second Wind story, listen to her episode. The title is Plot Twist. There's no such thing as anti-aging from March 15, 2021. Now, back to the episode. So now what you do is, you know, the new normal is you get a tick. You immediately go to your doctor and get uh, start immediately on doxycycline or whatever you need to start on. And you send that tick in. And SUNY now has a research center where they not only test your ticks for free, prior to that, it was like $50 for one, whatever, but they test it for free. They test multiple diseases within the tick. So they're not just testing for Lyme. They are testing for the other tick infections that are so fantastic. My husband too, he's been impacted. So he had optic neuritis in his eye. And so, you know, if you just look up optic neuritis in Lyme or, you know, any kind of tick, it's really unfortunate because he didn't have that awareness or he didn't want to have that awareness because he's just not been through this. We have lost our entire saving. We've lost everything, you know, everything trying to get me better and support the farm and living in California, which isn't cheap at all. And so, you know, he just has the blinders on like, I don't have Lyme. Right. He knows what's in store. Based on um, what he has experienced with you. Yeah. So he's lost the vision in one of his eyes and then he'll get floaters in the other eye. Interestingly, when I went with it, the eye doctor, I pushed them to give them antibiotics. It got better, hmm. but it's not the right antibiotics. I mean, he needs to go see a specialist. Oh, so he hasn't seen a specialist yet? 
No. He's ah! paralyzed. He's really paralyzed by what he knows the journey is. I mean, it is a journey no matter where you are on the Lyme spectrum, for sure. Yeah. Just sitting with the five of us that day, everybody, there's some commonalities between us all, but each of us have very different things going on. Oh, yeah. That was really interesting. Let me ask you a question, Maureen. When you were, now that you know what you know, and you go back, because one thing that got me when we were sitting in that group, and you're like, yeah, they opened my brain and wouldn't touch me because they said my brain looked like mush. And I was just, what are you talking about? Do you get angry? Do you ever get angry like, wow, this got missed for so long, it probably made my journey longer and more expensive. Do you yeah. ever feel that way? I do. You know, and it's always misdirected at physicians, specifically infectious disease doctors. But yeah, I get really mad sometimes. And what I project out to people who have Lyme disease might be kindness, and compassion, it's not going to help. What I project out to physicians is this cold, hard Bitch. <laughs> I mean, I make myself go, but I, you know, that's the most valuable thing I learned is that physicians don't know it all. And to question what they are telling you, you know, I mean, I'm just thinking that too, when I was trying to register Joey for school in LA and they've had me on like, seizure medicine, some random stuff, this mixture of bizarre drugs, these neurologists, and they were, you know, neurologists, I mean, like residents, whatever. I'm so mad. I am so mad at them. I'm not mad necessarily at the neurosurgeon. Okay? Mm. I'm not mad at the neurosurgeon. I'd open my brain and I'll tell you why. Because that connection, when they said, it looks like you have an MS, but it's not an MS. And then I think, okay, well, okay, huh. Mitt Romney's wife, she's got MS, Selma Blair, she's got all these really well-known women that are horseback riders. My friend in LA grew up on a farm. Her mom's a big hunter-jumper person. She's got MS. My friend who is in LA, who's a well-known attorney, she grew up in New Jersey, playing outside all the time. She's got MS. Like, wait a second, what is that connection? And I had this conversation with one of my neurologists not neurosurgeon, neurologist at UCLA, great guy, Neil Rao. And I said, Neil, you know, explain this. To, now I called it by their first name, by the way. I don't <laughs> say, oh, Dr. Rao. I say, Neil, this is what's happening. Why are you on the phone? Pick right. up. Yeah. yeah. So, Neil, I got to talk to you about Emmett. And so he said, well, that's interesting. I have a friend who's doing some research on MS and maybe infectious disease line kicks off MS. And I said, okay. I'll accept that. I will accept that from you. The fact that you had that, you added that sentence instead of saying, right. no, you don't know what you're talking. That was generous of him. But it also, you know, I have a friend, Michelle, who runs the National Primate Research Center and they test bacterial illness and they're doing, and I said, well, come on, girl. Let's test, come on, let's get the line. Let's, where's the line of testing? There's all this funding now, thanks to the Kate Hagen Act and there's this awareness. So let's make it happen. So I'm trying to leverage friends who have the resources in terms of what they do with their position. Another really well-known doctor, biologist who does a lot of research, you know, can't we get a virus to eat this bacteria? What can we do? How do we get rid of it? An interesting thing. So 
to answer your question, yeah, I get mad. I get mad at doctors who are so arrogant and don't entertain other possibilities. But I'm also grateful. I'm so grateful that you're getting treatment. Fine. That I'm getting treatment, but that I had this experience so that I know to question a physician and so that I know to stand up for myself. And I know I can tell, I can look the doctor in the eye and say, no, that's a terrible idea. Why would you do that? And um, to push back. So, how many years are you into this now? This Lyme thing? From my incident, we call it the incident. From the incident, which was 2016, and that was really the you know, the pinnacle, the climax, the big explosion that was the, the 2016 to 2022. So I was doing great 2020 to 21. I was on cloud nine. I was feeling myself again. What was like two thumbs up. Did you think you were cured? Did you think you were over Lyme? Lyme was no longer part of your life? I was pulsing the antibiotics. Okay. Every, I don't know, like every six weeks. And then I would go to three months. This is all like my own regulation. Because it's COVID, I'm not going to see a doctor. I don't want to be around doctors or anything. So now I'm like, okay, before I was pulsing it, so I'm going to pulse it that way. But I can tell like when the arthritis would get bad. Well, let me see if I start, you know, it would hurt to walk on my feet or whatever. And then I would do like two weeks of antibiotics and I would feel fine. Not fine, but much better. So, Yeah completely don't recommend it. This is not what people should do, but there were extraordinary times. And I felt great. I really felt great. And you forget what feeling great is. Yeah. It's like that scene in The Lord of the Rings where <laughs> he has the veil lifted or this magic spell taken off of him. And you just see a transformation. And that's how I felt in my brain and how I felt physically. I just felt so horrible. But I didn't realize it's like a bad relationship. You don't know how bad it is until you're out of it. It's really interesting. And what have you learned about Lyme and where we're at from a standpoint of people understanding it? Well, I've learned that people are assholes. And so if you talk, yeah, if you're really passionate, you know, and and it's your health and you're in a, having a happy hour with your friends and you're saying, well, you know, we're nine, blah, 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 you know, suddenly you get the eye rolls or just like when my friends were talking about Dana Parrish and they said, well, she's like sick all the time. I don't know why, you know, she exactly. always I mean, that, that, you know, because you might not look sick and you might not, you know, it's very misunderstood. Whereas if you had, you know, even alopecia, like Jada, you know, we could sit, at least you're bald, at least people say, oh, she's got something wrong. We have compassion for her. We're not going to like take a shot every time she says the word mine, like my stupid friends do. My family's going to start doing that. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll say something, I'll go, well, you know, and like, oh, it's the lime. I'm like, but it is, but it is. It is. And yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you get to, you want to, I find, I don't know if you found this with yourself, you want to almost open a conversation with someone when you're doing something important or, where you might slip up and say, hey, just so you know, I have Lyme, so this could go one of two ways kind of thing. You almost want to open with that. Like you're almost making excuses. I mean, for me, I've yeah. been like, I kind of want to, you know, make an excuse for myself in case I really slip up or I say something wrong or I can't remember something or I go off on a tangent and make no sense. I want them to know, yeah. but I don't think that helps because I don't think the no, awareness is there. It doesn't help. 
it's almost like implicit bias for yeah. them. Oh, she for those nut jobs who think she has a Lyme disease, or we don't even have like, oh my God, I roll, I roll. So I learned that it's better not to open with a headline. Probably. <laughs> I'm learning that, but I feel like I feel like I need to say, yeah, I'm probably 15, 20 pounds heavier, people. Not because I am eating too much or anything. It's because my body is 100% inflamed all the time and it, and it thinks I'm starving and my little mitochondrias aren't producing the energy. So it creates the inflammation, which then creates the weight gain. And there's absolutely nothing I can do about it right now. So, yeah. So I also 100% experienced that into the point where I was, at, you see, I was eating 800 calories, 800 calories a day to get the weight off and really drinking eight fucking protein shakes. Sorry, but eight protein shakes. I was so hungry. And then I ate a cucumber. I was like, oh no. And did your weight go down? Did your weight go down doing that? 800 calories. I had to be at 800 calories to get my weight. Down. But it wasn't, yeah, I was real grouchy for the first few days. But after three days, it wasn't, you know, you kind of get in the mood, in the role. But I did that for months and months and months and months and not the weight certainly didn't go down as quickly as it should have and then they were able to gauge like what your resting metabolism is so basically what how many calories you're maintaining your weight at and that really my highest weight it was like 1600 calories that's not that many calories that's not that many calories no it was like 249 it was a huge weight yeah. And you're active. It's not like you're sitting around. I was active. Yeah. At my equestrian center, I couldn't understand why I kept gaining weight. That's where I got, you know, one doctor in Atlanta said, oh, I think it might be Cushing disease. And so I'm, I'm sitting there popping diet pill and smoking cigarettes and drinking black coffee thinking I can't even ride because I'm too fat. And I wasn't that probably 20 pounds overweight. I'm like, why am I not losing weight? And that really was unfortunate. One of the most fortunate things, Wendy, which I'm going to give to you, this is a gift for you, is all the body positive stuff on Instagram and social media. You know, look at Lizzo embracing herself and not having to justify your weight to anybody. And that's something. And then Peter's really changed. Peter was, you know, pretty critical. I mean, tried not to be, but was like, get up. Oh, like, uh, whoa. <laughs> That's a big pair of pants. But oh my God. Yeah. I mean, he tried not to. I mean, he really tried to, it, but you could just tell. So, but now he doesn't do that at all. Now he's, you know, he's always reassuring me that that's perfect. That, you know, he waits not, we try not to focus on the number. We focus on, have a smart scale. So we're focusing more on how much water are we getting? What's our protein? What's our bone mass? So by not looking at the weight number and looking at the other numbers, we really reframed. Well, that's a good idea. I just don't get on the scale. Well, I highly recommend a, a smart scale because you have to be sort of, it because, you know, unfortunately, as your weight increases, it just causes more problems. So in terms of, you know, arthritis and inflammation, all those things. So, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've made a lot of to, to do all those, like, all the pills we take, mm -hmm. you have to take them with food. And mm -hmm. if I don't have enough food, I am violently ill. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then again, and I'm trying to make the right choices. And it's just like, oh, I've got to take, you know, 40 pills a day. And you have to time them up and all this stuff. And it's just like, you have to eat something. You have to, it's, yes. 
it's just a little crazy. Just a little crazy. What would you say, what's the most negative thing that's happened to you? And then let's, what's the most positive from this ridiculous disease from a stupid little tick that probably is part of a big conspiracy thing, blah, 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 go into the politics another day, but share that. It's a loaded question. I know. Especially, I really am. I'm a buoyant optimist. So I always find the silver lining, but I think that the worst thing that happened to me, I mean, there's so many unfortunate things that happened. The worst thing was, and it's not even to me, but you know, it really messed up Joey. It really messed up my son to see, be there and, and he checks out. So it's a coping mechanism that he has. And, ah, that hurts my heart. Like, you know, when you're a mom, it's really not about you. It's pretty much your child. So, you know, putting Joey through that, who was going through some stuff on his own too. So that was the worst thing. The physical stuff, I'm pretty strong and resilient. And I don't mind that I've had, you know, brain surgery, blood transfusions, you know, lost tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And. I got to meet the best people. Like, I'm, you know, Christy, who I have my her sheet because she was too thick to take care of them. And it just being different, amazing women who are so kind and supportive. Like, I would, like a sisterhood. So, you know, that's, is that the best thing? Yeah, probably, you know, having this network of women who understand. I guess also for me, the nest, I was lucky. I was in, Westwood in LA and I was walking and I saw an old client and that's where I got my job at because he said oh my god are you here and I said yeah I've been kind of sick so I'm getting some treatment and he said well we really need you (laughs) can you work for us and I'm like yeah sure I mean why not so they hired me on a contract and this was an old client of mine in Los Angeles and then transitioned into a full-time you know sort of career position and you're like, thank God, because I have all these bills. Exactly. I have all these bills, and now I have benefits, and now I have things like life insurance, and I have things like disability insurance, and all of the, you know, that that's not state disability. That's a privately funded thing in case something happens. But really, for me, it was like, I'm never going to be insurable. So life insurance would be great mm-hmm. that in case something happened to me, too, which is a benefit that was afforded to me. And I was able to, I was already vested in the pension. I was able to get back into that program. So, you know, for me, I'm a planner and um, very financially responsible. So I like to have all my debts in a row. Getting my uh, job back, working in California was great. Just meeting these people, meeting these people was great. Another thing was an Australian friend of ours, good, good friend of ours was so sick. And in Australia, they don't recognize Lyme. You recognize Paul? No. People don't have Lyme in Australia. He's like, I got it in Colorado. I didn't even get it here. So he had to come. So he flew from Australia. Fortunately, they have tons of money. So he was able to fly from Australia. I got him in with my doctor. She did massive um, infusions, hyperbaric treatment, you know, stem cells. She like through everything, the whole nine yards at him. And then he came back for more treatment, but just to see him do better and him to stop being in pain, you know, I can take my experience and positively impact somebody else. What breaks my heart are the people that can't afford it. Oh, yeah. So I'm still trying to figure that out. 
with insurance and because, you know, like you self and well, before your job, self-insured, like it's like the bare bones minimum kind of stuff. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So I'm still trying to like figure out how to do that. Well, the nurse in Dr. Lehman's office, he said he's been to different groups where they go to the vet to get the medication and they are all sort of in these support groups exchanging ideas. And that's not different from some of our discussions we've had where they're like, oh, you can get this horse warmer and this thing. And you can, and they're like, this is 2022. We should not be talking about like right. going to tractor supply to treat yeah. a bacterial illness. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. So where do you see this journey going, moving forward for you? Well, for me, I'm going to grab you and maybe Christy. <laughs> people and we're going to take a trip to dc and see senator warnock who i would really like to have a conversation with about changing the you know cdc parameters you go on their website now and it's completely wrong you, you know when they right. have a fact sheet i'm like this is the stupidest fact sheet this is who wrote this i mean there's bipartisan le legislature that has passed right so you know to meet with warnock and say hey now this is where we're at what can we do better in Georgia? How are you going to act us as your constituents in the front? We have my, here's the proof in Georgia, just outside Atlanta, help us, please. So I think that'll be a fun field trip. And I know of some great wineries. Although I, I can't really drink I right now. Can't drink. You can have a sip though, and they're beautiful. You can have a sip. Absolutely. I just don't want to feel like crap the next, yeah. And then... The other thing I think that is really important is it would be nice if anybody who has a tick bite or has, I mean, I almost feel like, to sum it up, a tick-borne illness test should be given almost automatically with all these different symptoms. Like, if you get a flu test, why can't we just have a Lyme test? Because it's so prevalent and so many people have it and don't know it. There is a woman I know who's had MS for over 45 years and they have linked it back to a freaking tick bite that many years right, later. Right, right. I mean, who, we, we got to tell Dr. Rao this. Neil Rao, listen, this is happening. Selma Blair, you know, I mean, all of these women that have MS, you know, it be, or men too, who, whoever, but how many hunters have MS? You know what I mean? People that are exposed, golf, you know. Oh, yeah. You go dig that ball out of the high grass. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's likely. And it's all over. It's all over. They're fighting on the beach in California on the bird, you know, oh. from the birds. So, you know, I think that the testing is so poor. So starting with getting a better test or doing PCR testing. Okay. That's like a good idea. For COVID. I think it's really interesting is how none of us in our tick support group has got COVID. Oh, I had COVID. Oh, okay. You're out. Wait, did you have, were you infected with Lyme at the time? No, it was before I got Lyme. Okay. I had the markers for Rocky, for the relapsing fever yeah. thing that yeah. I've had since probably I was 12. So I can now look back and my doctor can look back with me at all the different really crazy things that happened to me and a bout of migraines, a bout of this, a bout of that. And then it was flare-ups from that. Exactly. Right? But it, exactly. my body, thank God my body was like, yeah, I got this. I'll get you back. Right? And then, you know, I had a series of miscarriages. Dr. Barnwell believes 
that's part of the line. And stress every now and then I look back and say, oh yeah, I had that. I was really stressed out at that point in my life. And then I had this. But why can't we have more literate doctors, do you think? So that when you go to the urgent care like I did with a rash and a bite, and I'm not told it's cellulitis here, takes the flexin for five days. I learned. I think it could be Lyme. And they're like, no, 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 no. How do we fix that? Right. So this is what I've learned. And I've learned A, by working at the job that I work at, where I talk with really well-known physicians all the time. And I realize they're just like, you know, people do. You have levels of competency in physicians. And and I don't mean to disparage a physician. I mean, they're, I'm sure they're very smart, that they've had to go through medical school. and But they're also very... Like a, a generalist, like somebody you might see at urgent care, well, he might actually have a specialty, you know, in another area and just working at urgent care for the weekend. We have no idea. Or he might just be a generalist working. I don't really know. But that's where I was saying I can be a real jerk with the physician and I have my arsenal. So I have my NIH study, like, you know, calling them by their first name. That's the first thing you do. You balance, you level the power balance, right? We're saying, you know, my brain is really valuable. I'm not going to sit in your waiting room for an hour because that's not how I operate. So, you know, you need to test my blood. We got to figure this out. Do I go to play? What do I do? And having a conversation with them on that level is, is a big game changer. And it's also like, I was directing Peter's physician to prescribe him some damn antibiotic and whether, you know, saying, look, I've had two horses that had the same thing and they were diagnosed with Lyme disease by the vet. Why aren't you considering this? Hey, look, this here's my chart, you know, and you don't have to be a jerk, obviously. I just get kind of pissed off. But, you know, speaking to a physician, the level balance of power is critical, is very critical. How do we get more doctors literate? Do we have to wait for all the doctors to get Lyme disease? Yeah, unfortunately, we either do that or we have enough arsenal of published material that you can throw at them and say, oh, and you're sure you're not your. I mean, there are celebrities. Yeah, that, yeah, see, that's and there are celebrities. Yeah, I mean, you know, my whole thought process when I was sick was like, wow, this isn't fine. That's something, some made up celebrity issue when they were, they are stressed out. This is what right. I thought. Like, I apologize to every stressed out celebrity. And I'll have to tell you something offline about that as well. But I will promise to tell you offline that, a story. But really, you know, how do you get a doctor more educated? Get it in pub, you know, get it published, get it in the American Journal, get more research, get Michelle and her research facility to do an incredible study and to find unequivocal evidence and get it out there. And then mm-hmm. any CDC criteria. Yeah. And how do we do that? I, I don't know. I don't know how we do yeah. I, I know about forces. I don't know how we change the, the parameters, but I'll find out. Maureen, did you tell me that more animals get diagnosed with Lyme more readily diagnosed than humans? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can talk to any veterinarian. They would concur with that. Well, gosh, what do you think if somebody thinks maybe they don't have a tick bite, but they have some symptoms that sound familiar, what do you think they should do, whether they have a bite or not? I think they should join a group like at one of our online groups via social media and get a buddy. Because if you go in there without 
you know, I don't want to say guns a blazing, but at least without an arsenal of information or knowledge, or at least a script to tell to your physician, then, you know, you're going to go in and probably not get the right kind of care. And had I gotten care, correct care, which was probably at that time, 30 days of an IV antibiotic, none of this would have happened to me. None of it. Your yeah. brain wouldn't have been none opened up. Wow. Yes. Okay. And again, I feel lucky because I know what date I went there. I know because it's in a chart, you know, it's documented or whatever. So, you know, you have to, if you have a tick biting, and this is what my friends have done now, they'll call me and they'll say, oh, my niece got a tick biter. What, you know, what do we do? And I say, okay, do you have the tick? Send it again. Okay. You have to see a live, you know, I would call line letter physician or your primary care, but you tell them that you want the prophylactic treatment. If you don't have any symptoms, I say, just go for it anyway. And then if you do have symptoms, don't waste your time. Don't right. waste your time. Unfortunately, get your credit card and go get the proper test and get the right antibiotics for what you're specifically. Yeah, I had to reach out. I had to talk to people. That was the biggest thing is opening my mouth and saying, I don't think this is cellulitis. I think I have Lyme and having, oh, yeah. My sister did this and she talked to this person and then get online and then you can find a doctor who can order. You got to get the test ordered for you. Yeah. The right test and get like a hundred vials of blood drawn. Yeah. And then you get the answers and then you can get treatment. Exactly. And this is the challenge, right? Right. You're not going to, you might not have the money. Right. Exactly. And you might not have the available credit on your annex or whatever it is to pay yeah. for it. So, you know, and I'm I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like $3,000 for this and $550 and I can't, I'm like, and then I just saw Peter's face get whiter and whiter, plus a condo in LA and plus all of these different expenses. So, you know, who do you know that loves you? And if you're going to have to file bankruptcy, you know, what credit card, like, I don't even know those answers. I was very lucky that we had resources but yeah. that's just because we're lucky I, I don't even know what i would do if we could have the money to pay for those debt. feeling like we need to start and there probably is something out there some kind of a fund you know like dudes there is there's a lot of kids like people under 25 i think through different foundations but you know why does igenics have to be so expensive why can't insurance company cover pcr tests? Like, those would be the first questions i would ask we're going to get those answers. We got to change it. Yeah, we have to change it. We have to. We really have to. I mean, the insurance commission, like it just, you, we shouldn't have to spend thousands of dollars out of pocket that, okay, maybe you backed out your butt spending for the year, $2,500. Just oh my God. It doesn't touch it. That's nothing. It's like a week. It's a week. It's a week. Yeah. The supplements alone are going to drive you, you know, $1,500 a, a month. Yeah. Just the supplements maybe or more. But, oh, my gosh, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, but it's going to be good. We'll, I know you'll make it fun. It'll be so fun. <laughs> and we're going to, we'll probably have to get on again and share where we've gone and what we've done and the hoops we've gone through and how things are getting better for everyone out there. And women are more susceptible to Lyme and more susceptible to being misdiagnosed than men. Because we are complicated beings to begin with. And we have 
menopause and things get dismissed and we and we just have to be the advocates. I don't think the men are going to go out and do it for us. I mean, Bruce Fries, who was on the podcast already, he's an advocate who had Lyme and that's why. And he said, that's it. I'm throwing myself into this. Yeah. Because he was sick of seeing all of the children that were affected yeah. from gestational. So there's so many avenues to this and we're just scraping the surface. Yeah. But we'll get there. I'm convinced we will. We have enough adrenaline and energy to do this, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, we're persistent. We're like those persister cells. We got that. Maureen, thank you so much. What keeps you going every day? Do you have like a mantra or anything for your second wind? Yeah. So for my second wind, so, you know, really, I'm not supposed to ride horses because of my clotting issues and, and all this life that's going on. So what keeps me going is my rescue. Eight, I think he's just eighteen-year-old horse named Jesse, and I haven't. He's gentle as all can be, so I'm sure I might one day get on him. But every morning to feed him, to brush him, to talk to him, to kiss him, to just love him, you know, really my animal, my horse. Like, you know, that's I would say my fan. It's not necessarily my son or, or Peter. It's really at my heart there. I got you on that one. You get it. I totally get it. I mean, it's not like they want anything from you. They just, you know, they just want to be with you and love you. I mean, you always find me with some animal somewhere on me. So, yeah. Yeah. And they know. They just know. When you're laying down, they know they need to come to you. Absolutely. Whereas your husband may walk in the room and go, ah, you're laying down again. Exactly. You need to get up. Right? Or <laughs> oh, maybe. Exactly. Or, Oh, darling, a cup of tea. Doesn't that sound oh. good? Like I'm supposed to make them a cup of tea when I can't even stand up? No, it doesn't sound good. Go away. <laughs> My horse doesn't ask me for a cup of tea. My horse just wants to be next to me. So, yeah. I got you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We will continue this conversation as soon as we have some more information, which hopefully we'll be getting. And thank you again. Oh, Wendy, it's such a pleasure. And we will continue to be staunch supporters of whatever charity you happen to be affiliated with and we'll keep you at your restaurant well yeah i'm not the charity now is how do we make lime affordable and diagnosable and treatment available to everyone well it sounds like we need to plan a big benefit over here at the farm yeah we gotta do something but we will we will <laughs> So thank you so much, my friend. And I'm so glad we reconnected. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.